coming of the Lord Jesus. Now you might tell me, I don't, I don't have the talent, preacher. I, I'm not a singer. God has not blessed me with a singing voice. I can't carry a tune in a bucket. Well, just a couple weeks ago, I had the opportunity to hear the testimony of a young fellow from Central Baptist. Uh, his name is Stephen Leffler. And uh, he sang in just a, a magnificent, powerful voice that young fella has. And he shared with us, as he was speaking to the executive board meeting for the association, he shared with us that when he was younger, he was in church one day and felt God telling him to join the choir. To which he kind of responded to God and said, God, you know I can't sing. Why on earth would you ask me to do something like that? And to which he felt God telling him, you just obey me, I'll take care of the rest. And he said, well, I figured it wouldn't do any good to try to fight God, so I gave in and joined the choir. And he said, from that point forward, God has given me a voice. And he says, God has filled me with, with the music and has given me a voice to, to proclaim him. And he said, he has provided me opportunities. He's recorded music in studios and, and has had numerous platforms in which to share and bless others, all because he chose to obey God. Now, I'm here to tell you something special happens when you fully surrender to the Lord. I'm not going to tell you that if you fully give your life to God, you're going to be able to sing and have this great singing voice. It, it might be true, but whatever God is calling you to do, something special happens when you surrender yourself to the Lord. And when that thing happens, when God takes control of your life and begins to do mighty things in your life, you can't help but to testify. You can't help but to feel the need to tell others about all that God has done for you. And then you, in turn, want to encourage others to trust and trust their lives to God also. That's what David does in our psalm today, Psalm 34, as we're going to see. David sings of his Redeemer, and he encourages us to join in and sing of our Redeemer with him. In fact, the overall theme of Psalm 34 is this, to dedicate your life to the Lord Jesus Christ because of everything he has done to save you. Our young people have reminded us of just that this morning through song, all that God has done for us in Christ to save us. And in light of that, we must dedicate ourselves to him in devotion and gratitude for all he has done for us. I want to invite you to stand, if you're able, this morning to read the word of God. This is, we do this in reverence to open up our scriptures. Stand before the Lord in honor of Him. Psalm 34, beginning at verse 1, I'll be reading these words that were written by David, inspired by the Holy Spirit. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul will make its boast in the Lord. The humble will hear it and rejoice. O oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt His name together. I sought the Lord. And he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. They looked to him and were radiant, and their faces will never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and rescues them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Let's pray together. Father, we have gathered here today, this Resurrection Sunday, to celebrate our risen Lord, the risen King, Jesus. And Father, your word tells us of all that he did for us, lived a sinless life, 
died a substitutionary death on the cross in our place so that we might be forgiven. Scripture tells us He rose again on the third day triumphantly over sin and death and the grave. Therefore, it no longer has power over Him and for us who put our trust in Him. Death and sin are powerless over us as well. Father God, I pray that You would speak to us this morning and I pray, God, that we would humble ourselves, acknowledge You are God, we are not. And Father, help us to listen attentively to all You have to tell us and may we be obedient. And in turn, may we sing of our Redeemer and encourage others to join us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. May you be seated. In the book of Psalms, these are a collection of of songs that the Hebrews, God's people in the Old Testament, had gathered together to be able to worship God. And there are 13 psalms that are connected specifically to events in David's life. And this is one of those 13 It tells us in the superscription there, right above verse 1, it says, this is a psalm of David. It said, when he feigned madness before Abimelech, who drove him away and he departed. A little bit of a backstory to this we find in the book of 1 Samuel. David was running from King Saul. He was trying to take his life, and David fled to the Philistines, to their nation. The, The Philistines were enemies with the Israelites, and David felt like, well, maybe the enemy of my enemy is my friend, and so David fled to the Philistines and came before their king and then suddenly the Philistines were like now here's, here's David David's been killing a lot of us how about we kill him and David recognizing he had gotten himself into a pickle came up with this plan he said I'm going to pretend that I'm going insane and began to, to slobber and scratch all over the doors and finally the, the, the king said wait a minute why have you brought this insane fella into my palace get him out of here I don't want, I don't want him around and so David departed And in that story, David felt gratitude for all that God did to rescue him. In spite of the fact he put himself in that situation, but God intervened and David was grateful. So David wrote this song to record and and commemorate God's deliverance. And so what we see David writing here, we see several lessons for us as we think about all that God has done for us in Christ Jesus. And the first thing we need to do is worship the Lord. You should worship God. The Lord. It is the rightful response of mankind to our Creator. God has made you. And whether you acknowledge it or not, the rightful response that you should give to God is to worship Him and reverence Him. How do we do that? Well, David shows us, verse 1, give Him continuous praise. Continuous praise. He says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. All times, continually, so I will bless. To bless means to give something good to. And we say, now wait a minute, God has everything. How can I give God anything He doesn't already have? Well, blessing God is a way of saying, I recognize that who God is, and I want to give God the best. I want to give God all I have to offer in return. That's how we bless the Lord. David said, I will do that at all times. I will do that continually. We see He is resolved to praise God no matter what. The good times, the bad times, every time in between. He said, I will praise the Lord. I don't know what's going on in your life. Maybe it's a good time in your life. Maybe maybe there have been better days in your life. But David shows us, because of who God is, we should be continuously giving God praise. Give Him continuous praise. Secondly, give Him contagious praise. 
we've already spoken about the, the stomach bug making its way around in our community lately. And we say, I don't want any part of that contagious stuff. But there is something about praise that is contagious in a good way, in a beneficial way. We see that in verse 2. David says, My soul will make its boast in the Lord. The humble will hear it and rejoice. The humble, those who have nothing, those who are hopeless, those who are downtrodden. He said there is something about praise that catches the attention in the ears of others and leads them to rejoice. There is something about honest, heartfelt, sincere praise and worship to God that is inspiring to others. Not just praising God with our lips, but praising God with our lives. Honest, authentic Christian living is attractive to this world because it is so radically different. When we are filled with joy, in spite of the situations we may be going through, there is something about that that is contagious that leads others to be inspired as well. Give him contagious praise. Also, thirdly, give him corporate praise. In verse 3, David says, Oh, magnify the Lord with me. He said, It's not enough just for me to worship God. God deserves everybody's worship. He said, I want you to join me. I'm worshiping God. Come and join me in this. Oh, worship the Lord with me. And he says, Let us exalt his name together. There is something special about corporate worship. All of us are called to worship God on our own. We're called to give God private, personal worship and devotion. But we're also called to come together corporately and worship Him together. There is something about coming together with God's people in which His presence is manifest in a very special way. There's something that happens in worship corporately that does not happen anywhere else. Something unique and special. David recognized that. Some of you have recognized that. Maybe others have, have yet to see that there is something special about corporate praise. And I pray that God will reveal that to you as we have gathered this morning. Let us exalt His name together. Now we are taught at a very young age, aren't we, not to boast about anything. Why is that? And nobody likes anybody that's proud, a boaster. Boasting usually repels people, does it not? But David tells us in this psalm that when we make our boast in the Lord, not in ourselves, but in God, there is something attractive about that. It says the humble, those who do not have anything, they hear us boasting not in of ourselves because there is nothing, ladies and gentlemen, that, that any of us can boast about in and of ourselves because we're all broken, we're all fallen, we're all sinners in the eyes of a holy God, every single one of us. But when we boast in the Lord and who He is and what He has done, the humble, the downtrodden hear that and they are led to join us in this worship that God deserves. Worship the Lord. Secondly, we are called to witness for the Lord, to witness for Him. In other words, to give a personal testimony, a witness in a court of law. They speak about what they have seen, what they have heard, and what they have personally experienced. That's what you and I are called to do as Christians, as Christ followers. We are to be witnesses for the Lord. We see David giving personal reasons for praising God here. He's giving testimony. First of all, he says, My God delivered me. My God delivered me. As you think about your story, if you have given your life to God, you think about how God has worked to deliver you. And then you testify. You tell others about that. Verse 4, he says, I sought the Lord. I sought the Lord. Now, he didn't say, I just stumbled upon the Lord. I was just going about my business, and lo and behold, there was the Lord. No, he said, I was intentional about this. I gave of myself and my energy and my time and my effort and I sought God. I realized I needed the Lord and so I sought after Him. 
Now, it's after the fact when we seek the Lord, you find out He's already sought you. But David says, I was seeking the Lord. I sought the Lord. And you know what? He answered me. It's a pretty amazing thing the God of the universe would answer us. He says, and He delivered me from all my fears. Delivered means to be saved, to be snatched up. It means you are in a mess. You are in quicksand and you are sinking and there is no hope and suddenly the Lord is there and He delivers you. He pulls you out of that peril. I sought the Lord. I needed God and He answered me. God answers us when we seek Him. My God delivered me and He delivered me from all my fears. Fears of what? Many of us have different fears. I'm scared of spiders, scared to death of spiders. Can't stand them. You know, other people have different phobias and so forth. But the greatest fear, perhaps, that every human being has is the fear of what? Fear of death. Fear of death, fear of the grave, fear of standing before God in judgment. I'm here to tell you the good news is because Jesus died on the cross for your sin and because He rose again and conquered the grave, we need not fear death. You need not fear the judgment. Perfect love casts out fear, the Bible says. So we put our trust in the Lord and what He has done for us. We celebrate the resurrection of Christ. It drives out fear. I sought the Lord. He answered me. He delivered me. How? Through the death, burial, resurrection of Christ. He has delivered me and He will deliver you. See, that's what David is doing. He is praising God in hopes that he is drawing others to do the same. I sought the Lord. Would you seek Him with me? My God delivered me. My God delights me. He delights me. Verse 5, he says, They looked to Him and they were radiant. Their faces will never be ashamed. There is something about walking with the Lord that just totally transforms a person, that just radically just alters your, your entire insides but also something about on the outside. You can just tell when someone has the joy of the Lord. Despite the circumstances, situations they may be going in, for whatever reason they have joy, and you say, that makes no sense to me at all. This person should not be full of joy right now, but they are. And that's what David says, my Lord delights me because of what he's done for me. How can I not delight in God? How could I not have my heart stirred for him? And how could I not let my face reflect that? radiate the joy of the Lord because of who He is in tangible ways. My God delights me. My God defends me. As we tell our story to others, we tell about how God delivered us and how He delights our soul because nobody wants to follow a God they can't delight in. My God delights me, but also my God defends me. He is still defending me. Verse 6, he said, This poor man cried. David said, This poor man, he's talking about himself. Now, how's David poor? He's bankrupt spiritually. He knows I have nothing to offer God. What am I going to give God? I don't have anything to give God. He said, this poor man, I cried to God. I recognized my poverty. I cried to him out of my poverty. And the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. And then he says, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and rescues them. This poor man cried. His desperation led to divine deliverance. Are you desperate this morning? Do you see your situation and does it seem like it's helpless? And are you full of despair? Because you will not cry out to God if you're not desperate. I guarantee you that. There's no desperation in your heart, no desperation in your mind. You're not going to cry out to God. You don't think you need God. But if you recognize you're hopeless and you recognize the truth that you truly are poor and bankrupt 
spiritually. When you recognize that and you cry out to God, He will hear you and He will save you. And it says the angel of the Lord encamps around you. The angel of the Lord appears many times in the Old Testament. Sometimes He's there to uh, deliver a message, but many times He's there as an avenger. I'm not talking about Marvel Comics. I'm talking about avenging the angel of the Lord, the, 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 the mighty soldier of God and His armies encamped around you. It's a pretty cool thought to think about. We don't recognize many times the reality of the spiritual realm around us. Angels and fallen angels battling and struggling for your soul and struggling for your life. David says the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. See, that's the thing. When you fear the Lord, you need not fear anything else. If you've got fear, there's no reason to fear. If you're fearing the right thing, the right person, you're fearing God gives divine protection against his enemies. We see the story in 2 Kings of Elisha and his servant. They were on a mountain there and the enemies had encircled them and surrounded them. And the servant of Elisha said, it, it, we're doomed. We're doomed. It's just two of us, a whole army of them. And Elisha prayed to God and said, God, I pray you open this young man's eyes that he might see the reality of all that's going on. He said, the servant looked and behold that there was chariots of fire all around that mountain. The reality is that God was in control and they need not fear the world and the enemies of the world. Now, I am encouraged often and I want to invite you to do the same anytime that you are in fear, anytime that you are worrying about anything. Just picture the reality of being surrounded by angelic armies, soldiers clad in their armor, swords and shields just ready to fight for you. Most of the time we think of angels, we think of little, little chubby kids, don't we? Little, little chubby children, and we're like, you know, how's that angel going to defend me? That's not the biblical picture of angels. They are soldiers. They are warriors. They are battle-tested, and they are ready to defend you if you belong to God. They will encamp around you. Witness for the Lord. As we think about how He delivered you and how He delights your soul and how He defends you, how could you not witness to others? Thirdly, you need to welcome the Lord. Welcome Him. First part of this psalm is a hymn. A hymn of praise to God. Last part of this psalm, it's a sermon. Because there's a lot of commands that come out of this. It's as if David's saying, okay, now that I've set the table, here's what I want you to do. Now that you know the truth, here's what you need to do with it. He says, first of all, in verse 8, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see that God is good. In other words, experience God's goodness. God's goodness. Experience it for yourself. Don't just let me tell you about it. I can tell you all day long about how God is good. But you need to figure that out for yourself. You need to find out for yourself. See, a lot of you all have been tasting a lot of other things that this world has to offer. You've been trying relationships. And that's not working. You've been trying jobs and careers. That's not really satisfying you much either. Possessions, material goods, maybe even substances, drugs, alcohol. You, maybe you've tried everything this world has to offer, and I've tried most of everything. And I've found that nothing else tastes as good as the Lord. And I want to encourage you, invite you to do the same. But you've got to experience that on your, on your own. You've got to taste and see for yourself. And that's what David is saying here. Give God an opportunity. You've been given everything else the opportunity and nothing else has worked. Have you fully given yourself to God? 
Have you finally just said, I give up. God, here I am, all of me, and this world's going to look at me like I'm a fool. But you know what? I don't care. God, I'm going to be a fool for you. Have you made that decision yet? Or have you been kind of holding back and say, well, you know, I want a little bit of Jesus, but not too much, you know? You haven't tasted of the Lord. You haven't seen that He is good. Because when you do, there's no going back. Taste and see. Experience God's goodness for yourself. But next, you need to expect God's goodness. Verse 9 and 10, David says, Oh, taste and see. Then he says, Oh, fear the Lord, you His saints. For those who fear Him, there is no want. He doesn't say you don't want anything, but there is no want. There's no lack. God provides. God gives everything that you need. And he gives the example. He says, young lions do lack and suffer hunger. If there is any animal in the animal kingdom that, that should not lack anything, it's the lion. It's full of power and speed and, and every tool it needs to, to, to feed itself. He says, but even sometimes the young lions come up empty. And sometimes their stomachs growl. So even though that happens, he says, but they who seek the Lord shall not be in want of any good thing. Again, not that you don't want anything, but God supplies everything you need. There's a difference between wants and needs. You'll never be in want of anything that you need. Reminds me of the 23rd Psalm. Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. If you are part of God's flock, He'll take care of you. He'll give you everything that you need if you trust in Him and believe in Him. Expect God's goodness. Thirdly, exemplify God's goodness. Verse 11 through 14, he says, Come, you children, and listen to me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. It's as if a loving parent is instructing their child on what's best for them. If you've got kids or grandkids or young people that you love and, and you want to see them succeed in life, you want to impart to them wisdom, you want to tell them, don't make the mistakes that I've made, it's like David's saying here. He says, come, children, listen to me. And when I think about that, I think about teaching, I'm so grateful for the teachers in this church and our volunteers of all ages that are teaching and imparting knowledge and wisdom, especially those who are working with our kids and our youth because they are such a, an impressionable age and, and they are at an age where they haven't made some of the mistakes that we have made and we love them and we want to see them do right and, and see them grow and thrive in this life. So I thank you so much for willingness, your willingness and devotion to teach and lead them by your example and through your words. He says, Come, you children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. He says, Who is the man who desires life and loves length of days that he may see good? In other words, he says, You want the good life? We all want the good life. How do you have the good life? David says, Watch your mouth. Literally, look at verse 13. He says, Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil. He says, Here's what you don't do. Words are powerful. Words have meaning and, and words shape and, and develop and transform. And David recognizing that says, You want to have a good life? Watch your mouth. Don't go around lying and slandering. Don't go around gossiping. I done got to meddling now, didn't I? Don't go around gossiping. Well, it's true. What's the purpose of what you're saying? Is it for good? Is it for building up? Is it for tearing down? If you want the good life, you want to, if you want to exemplify godliness as a person of God ought to, you need to be careful with your words. 
If it's not edifying, if it's not building up, if it's potentially harmful, keep your mouth shut. Don't be speaking these things. Keep your tongue from evil, your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil. That's what you don't do. Here's what you do do. You do good. You seek peace. You pursue it. You chase peace at all costs. If this is going to cause division, I don't need to do it. But if this is going to cause unity and cohesiveness and togetherness, I'm going to speak that. And I'm going to do that. And I'm going to work towards that because that is what is beneficial. So you want the good life? Exemplify righteousness. Exemplify the life that reflects God. You think of God, you think evil, deceit? No. You think of good, you think of peace. And David says that's the things we need to pursue. This past week, my family went and checked out a new pizza joint in Lexington. And uh, we all have different tastes when it comes to pizza. A couple of us like everything on it. One of us just likes cheese. One of us wants some sausage, and one of us is kind of like, ah, whatever, I'll eat anything. I'll leave it up to you to figure out who's who in that scenario. <laughs> but the thing is, we all have different taste buds. Uh, humans, we do. Some of us like one thing, and some of us think, man, that's just disgusting. Give me this over here. And we're like, yuck. We all have different tastes when it comes to food, when it comes to clothing and music, you name it. We have different tastes. But I guarantee you this, we all have a taste and a desire for the Lord Jesus Christ. And I guarantee you this, when you taste and see that God is good, you're going to want nothing else this world has to offer because you will have found what your soul has been searching for all this time. But it takes you laying it down and giving it up and saying, God, here I am. I quit. Wave the white flag. Lord, I have tasted and I have seen there is nothing that satisfies like following Jesus. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Welcome the Lord into your life and into your heart. Final thing you need to do according to this psalm is wonder at the Lord. Be amazed by God. Be amazed at who He is and what He has done. Be amazed by His justice against sin and be amazed by His grace and His mercy and His love for you. First of all, he recognizes your situation. It's important to understand that. Verse 15, the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous. His ears are open to their cry. Now, God doesn't literally have eyes and ears. Scripture says he, he does not have a body. God is spirit. But David is writing in such a way where he poetically shows us that God is aware of all. God sees all. He knows all. He hears all. And the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous. His ears are open to their cry. That means God understands your situation. He understands your, your opposition. He understands your oppression. Whatever is weighing you down, God knows. God understands. He sees. But also it goes on to say in verse 16, the face of the Lord is against evildoers to cut off the memory of them from the earth. God knows all you're going through and God also knows all that you're doing. So if you're doing anything that does not please God, if you're doing anything that invokes God's wrath, you need to knock it off. God sees. It's an encouraging thing to know that God sees everything that happens to you. It's also a pretty scary thing to know that God sees everything that happens in your life. So we need to revere Him and fear Him and acknowledge Him as holy. God knows your situation. He recognizes that. All that you are enduring all that you are doing, and His favor is on those who seek Him. 
Then we see in verse 17 through 20, we see that he rescues the saints. He rescues those who call out to him. Verse 17, the righteous cry, and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. It's, it's the familiar refrain. It comes up over and over again in the psalm. Cry out to God. God hears. God saves. Acknowledge you need God. God answers and responds. That's what this psalm is saying. And David said, I am so glad God does that for me, and he'll do that for you too. The righteous cry, the Lord hears, delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. Is that your situation today? Maybe something has happened in your life. You feel like your heart is broken. You feel like God is distant. But the Scripture says if your heart is broken, God is near. Because He knows that is the time when you acknowledge that you need Him the most. Call upon the Lord while He may be found. Seek Him while He is near. He is here, right here, right now. And this is your opportunity to cry out to Him. If you have not done so already, He hears and He answers. He'll do that for you. He did that for David. He's done that for me. He rescues His saints, those who cry out to Him. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. He saves those who are crushed in spirits, those who are broken. And those who know that they need him. Verse 19, many are the afflictions of the righteous. Now understand that, hear that. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. Now wait a minute. If I come to God, God is good. I should expect God to provide for my needs, yes. But nowhere in the Bible does it say, if you have faith in God, everything will be peachy keen in your life. Nowhere does it say in the Bible, if you come to God in faith in Christ, you will be rich You'll have everything you've always dreamed of. You'll never be sick. Nowhere in the Bible does it say those things. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. Not just a few here and there. Many. But I'm righteous. So was Jesus. And you saw what happened to him. Nailed to a cross. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. But the Lord, it goes on to say, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Here a while back, I went and visited Miss Frida when she was still with us, Miss Frida Brown, and, and I went to visit. When I go to make hospital visits, I usually take my Bible with me, and I'll, I'll ask if anybody wants me to read something specific for them, and, and I'll pray for them. Now, this particular time I went and visited Miss Frida, I didn't have my Bible with me for whatever reason, but I knew she had hers with her. And I said, Miss Frida, you got a Bible handy? She said, yes, sir, it's right over there. And I opened it up, and I said, can I read something for you? And she said, well, you just pick it, honey, it's all good. So I turned to Psalm 34. And I read the beginning of Psalm 34 here. And I noticed in her Bible, over to the side at the end of Psalm 34, there was a verse that was highlighted, and it was that one. Verse 19, many are the afflictions of the righteous. And here was a lady who had been suffering with COPD that eventually a few weeks down the road was going to, it was going to end up taking her life from her. Couldn't breathe and was just suffering miserably. But she had a joy for the Lord. She had a passion for God. She worshipped Him to the very end with her last breath, literally. And she understood this reality. Even though I love God, I'm not exempt from pain and suffering. But I understand that the Lord delivers me out of all my afflictions. The most affliction, the most painful affliction we have is sin and judgment. God delivers me from my afflictions. Verse 20, he keeps all of his bones, not one of them is broken. And of course, John takes that as a reference to Jesus on the cross. 
That's how we know as we think about that scenario, all of this tying into the righteous suffering and the righteous crying to God and the righteous being delivered. Jesus is our example of that. All that He endured for us on the cross. God rescues the saints. He repays the sinners. Verse 21, Evil shall slay the wicked. Those who hate the righteous will be condemned. Now, it's as if He's saying here, the evil that those who are evil do, that evil comes back to bite them. Those who hate the righteous, those who hate God, those who hate Jesus and the things of Jesus. And by the way, if you have not surrendered your life to Jesus, it's as if you hate Jesus. If you know that He died on the cross for your sins and you don't give yourself to Him, and that's just what you are saying, you are spitting on Christ. That's what you're doing. You say, well, you know, maybe I'll get to it eventually, but as of right now, you are an enemy of God. And he says, evil shall slay the wicked. He says, they will be condemned. In God's eyes, you are still guilty. Your sin still remains because you have not yet given that to God. You have not given that to the cross. And he says, God will repay you for this. It is certain. Evil shall slay. That it, it might, possibly, could. No, it will. It will. Not my opinion. It's straight from the text, folks. This is God's Word. Evil shall slay the wicked. Those who hate the righteous, those who hate Christ, will be condemned. So what's the other recourse that you have? Verse 22, He redeems His servants. Redeems. The Lord redeems the soul of His servants. Redeem means to be, to be purchased from slavery. You and I were born in slavery to sin. Selfish, self-centered, self-righteous, you name it. That was our only ambition, our only focus. And yet God redeems us. He purchases us. He buys us out of that and says they are no longer slaves to sin. They are slaves to righteousness. He redeems His servants. The Lord redeems the soul of His servants and none of those who take refuge in Him will be condemned. Take refuge the second time he's talked about this in verse 8 taste and see the Lord is good how blessed is the man who takes refuge in him and none of those who take refuge in him how do you take refuge in him you got to taste and see you individually have got to taste and see the Lord is good I can tell you that oh man the Lord is good you've got to taste and see and if you do that you will take refuge in him and if you take refuge in him it says you will not be condemned just the opposite of the wicked. You become righteous through what Christ has done. And you take refuge in God. You will not be condemned. Reminds me of Romans chapter 8 verse 1. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It means you've got to be in Christ in order to be saved. How do you do that? You acknowledge He is who the Bible says He is. You surrender your rights to Him. You acknowledge your need for Him. And you humbly cry out for God's mercy. And you plead nothing but the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. That's my only hope, my only recourse. You acknowledge that. You surrender yourself fully to God. He will save you. He will redeem you. And you will not be condemned. Why do you need to fear death and the judgment? Christ has conquered death. Christ redeems you from judgment. What have I to fear if I have God as my refuge? 
What about those who don't? There is condemnation if you are not in Christ. So you must dedicate your life to the Lord Jesus because of all that He has done to save you. In this psalm, there's 22 verses. The word Lord appears 15 times. Almost every verse, David is referring to the Lord. All caps, that's the covenant name of God. That's the name of the God of the Bible. Not just a God or any God or one of the gods, but the God. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The God who saves. The God who created everything. The God who wants the relationship with you. The Lord. Our focus needs to be on the Lord. David is singing of the Lord. And he wants you to join him. The problem is some of you may have come in today with a burden that is heavy. You're carrying a weight that is hindering you in this life. And you are struggling. You are striving. I just can't seem to get ahead. I just don't feel like life has any meaning or any purpose. Reminds me of the story, Pilgrim's Progress, written by the Puritan preacher John Bunyan many years ago. It's a parable, an allegory, about a man named Christian. And Christian decides one day he's going to leave his home in the city of destruction, and he is going to walk and journey towards the celestial city. It's a, it's a picture of the, of the um, discipleship, uh, of the voyage we take in this life as a Christian. Christian decides he's going to leave and head to the celestial city, but the problem is he's got this heavy backpack. He's got this weight, and it's slowing him down, and he just cannot seem to get ahead. And then Bunyan writes and says, Now I saw in my dream that the highway up which Christian was fenced on either side with a wall, and that wall is called salvation. Up this way, therefore, did burdened Christian run, but not without great difficulty because of the load on his back. You had a load on your back today? He ran thus until he came to a place somewhat ascending. And upon that place stood a cross. And a little below in the bottom, a tomb. So I saw in my dream that just as Christian came up to the cross, his burden loosed from off his shoulders and fell off his back and began to tumble and so continued to do till it came to the mouth of the tomb where it fell in and I saw it no more. Then was Christian glad and lightsome, and said with a merry heart, He hath given me rest by his sorrow, and life by his death. Then he stood a while to look and wonder, for it was very surprising to him that the sight of the cross should ease him of his burden. He went therefore and looked again, even till the springs that were in his head sent the waters down his cheeks. It was because that tomb was empty it could swallow his burden. Because the tomb of Jesus is empty, it can and it will swallow your burden as well. But you've got to let go of it. You've got to come to the cross and let go of that burden. What we need to do today and every day is grow in gratitude for His grace. Grow in gratitude for His grace. To think of all that He has done for you. You've got to taste and see that the Lord is good. Some of y'all have never tasted before. You need to do it now. Some of y'all, it's like cornflakes. You need to taste it again for the very first time. <laughs> you've tasted and you've seen of the Lord's goodness, but now you've somehow drifted from that. Again, is, today is the day. Taste and see that the Lord is good. And when you do, you're going to want to sing 
of your Redeemer. Let's pray together. Father, we have come together today into this room, into this holy place, not just because it is a special building, because it is a place where God has come. And the reason we know that is because there have been Christian folks who have gathered here today. We're told in the Bible that the Holy Spirit of God resides inside of those who have surrendered to Him. And because we have come here today, Lord, this is a holy place, and therefore it is a holy time. We have joined in with David who wrote this psalm thousands of years ago. David tasted and he saw, God, that you are good. And he encouraged his audience to join him. He has invited us today to taste and see that God is good. And that is our prayer today, Lord. That is our prayer. Some of us have never experienced the grace of God because we have not let go of that burden. We have tried everything, anything and everything else we have sampled. Now is the time. Oh God, now is the time. Every person within the sound of my voice needs to taste and see that the Lord is good. God, only you can do that. I can't open their eyes. I can't touch their heart, transform the way they think, transform the way they look at this world. I I can't reveal the truth. God, I'm just your spokesman. Lord, we need the power of the Holy Spirit today to bring life and light where there is currently death and darkness. And Lord, you raised Jesus from the dead. You can raise a dead soul today who entrust himself to Christ. Father, we come to you just as we are. There is nothing else we have to offer. So Lord, that's our prayer today. We want to surrender it all and lay it down. God, here I am. Take me as I am and then transform me. Make me what you want me to be. God, by your grace, for your glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.